The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. All right, let's get God's Word open. And um, we're in this uh, series, Jesus on Money. I love this. Let's start with something from P.T. Barnum. Okay, who was uh, uh, the man who made a lot of money with the greatest show on earth, a great circus um, uh, entertainer. And uh, he said this, money is a terrible master, uh, but an excellent servant. And uh, that really squares with what we've already heard from Jesus. I'm sure Jesus is so pleased that P.T. Barnum agrees with him. Um, but um, we need to stop, stop being slaves to money and make the pledge the determination, really, to have money start to serve us, that we're going to be in charge of it. We need to bring it under control in a way that is consistent with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, because this is a discipleship issue. Jesus wants us to align with him in every way that we can possibly align with him. And... Um, Really, if we get right down to it, I know some people aren't you know, super fired up about a money series, but I want, you, want to let you know that a money series is, listen now, it's a, it's a holiness series. When we're talking about how to properly handle our money and get this in alignment with what God's word says about it, this is a matter of our holiness. It is a matter of our Christ-likeness. Will we do what Jesus has told us to do with respect to money? And Edmund Burke, uh, an Irish statesman, said it this way, if we command our wealth, we shall be rich and free. If our wealth commands us, we are poor indeed. And that poverty, by the way, is not just um, material poverty, physical poverty, but it will be poverty in our mental state and our emotions. We talked about that last week. And obviously, it will impoverish us spiritually because we will not be aligned with God's will and God's ways. So let's have money serve us. That's where we're going in the next two messages. And um, I'm going to do something now. You know, I, I get to teach um, a lot of young preachers uh, what, what we do here in our training center. And um, I always, always, always tell them in their introductions, uh, never go back and review what you did in previous weeks. Never do that. So let's look back on what we did over the last couple of weeks by way of recap. Um, message one, we talked about uh, you own it, it doesn't own you. And uh, we want to be open about our struggle with money. Lots of us are struggling with it right here. And one of the hallmarks and awesome things about this church is how we're growing in authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. And you can bet if you're sitting there and you're struggling with financial issues in your own home that you're not the only one and it's not going to be helpful to you if you just keep it to yourself. But if you can get together with some other people and start talking about that, you can get that fixed. Find advocates. Find people to walk along the journey with you. Uh, listen, be open about your struggle with money. Uh, be biblical in your understanding of money. That's what the whole series is about. Be undivided in your heart uh, concerning money. This was Jesus' big thing, was that we not serve God and money. In fact, that's impossible, he said. 
and then intentional in my handling money. And again, that's what we're looking at week by week. And then uh, last week, we looked at when it owns you slavery, kind of got down to the, the down and dirty of this, the hard part about it. A slave, enslaved really in three ways. I want what I don't have, and so greed grips me. And I obsess over what I do have, and so wealth consumes me. And I buy what I don't need, and debt overwhelms me. Now, if you've missed any of that in the two messages that we've done already, go to iTunes, look, look it up, find the, um, the audio and listen to that, or go to our website and watch the video, and you can get caught up on, on all of that. So this week, here's what we're looking at. When you own it, when you own the money, uh, the word is freedom. No longer slavery, but uh, freedom. And uh, we've sung uh, this morning about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he made for us in giving his life and shedding his blood lays the foundation for the freedom that now exists in every aspect of our lives, including this aspect of money. And when we despise what God's word is saying about this and we refuse to get free in the, in the, in our, the financial part of our lives, we are actually despising the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. So the foundation of what we're talking about, this is not only a holiness message, but the foundation of it is a gospel message. And we want to take advantage of all that Christ has done for us. I hope that's what you want for yourself, that you're willing to make the changes that are necessary by the power of God's Holy Spirit as we look at these principles here this morning. Does that sound good? So let's pray, and then we'll get into what God has for us today. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Father, I am... <clears throat> Um, willing to confess right now on behalf of all of us our weakness and our helplessness apart from you. And um, a Christ is everything to us. He is our strength and he is our song. And so by the power um, of your Holy Spirit in this place, God, I would uh, pray that you help us to resist all of the world's temptations, uh, to walk in holiness on this really a heart-revealing matter of managing our finances. Help us to live out the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. God, these things we pray in his amazing name. Amen. Amen? All right, when you own your money, rather than uh, it owning you, you are free to, look at this verse, diligently earn it. Yay, I get to earn it. I'm free to do that. Right, you're free to do that. You're free to work. You're free to diligently earn it, to use the strength that you have in it to earn the money that God wants to uh, provide you with. The passages that we looked at last week that condemned uh, get-rich-quick schemes, a couple of verses we looked at in the book of Proverbs, also pointed to the truth on the other side of that. Don't pursue the get-rich-quick scheme. On the other hand, work diligently. That's the flip side of what uh, the Lord is really saying through those uh, verses. The hard work, that hard work is the way to gain wealth. It is the way to earn a living for yourself. And Jesus affirms the same principle in the parables as an example of that, uh, Luke two, uh, 12, Luke 12. Um, do you have that open already? Because I don't hear a lot of pages turning. Luke 12, if you have an e-Bible, I'm not gonna hear it anyway. There, here's some pages. Don't fake page turn. It's great. Luke 12, 42. 
This is just one of the parables that he told um, that um, is in the context of hard work. And the Lord said, uh, verse 42, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household uh, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words, when, when, he, when he comes back, he, he better find you working, not sitting around, but working. Truly I say to you, he will set over him all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming, I don't think he's coming. Begins to beat the male and female servants as act, acting in, a, in an unfaithful way. And to eat and drink and get drunk, you know, not working at all, just sitting around drinking. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That doesn't sound pleasant at all. And then right down towards the end, of the latter part of verse 48, which really sums this up. Everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. If God gives you a lot, you better be using it. If God gives you a lot in terms of energy and talent and, 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 the, and, and the, the drive inside, you better be using that and not squander it. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him uh, to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. To whom much is given, much is required. The very same principle plays out in what's known as the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. We're not going to look at that. But really it's, it's the one servant who doesn't do anything with what had been given to him. That's the one who's condemned. Words of Jesus. In the, word, in the, in the book of Genesis... Adam and Eve are created. Adam is given before the fall, before sin ever enters into the world. Adam is given meaningful work to do. It's not like before sin entered the world, they were all just sitting around doing nothing all day long. There was work. It is a good thing. It was created by God and declared to be good. Work is awesome because God created it. The Apostle Paul twice, once in uh, the first letter to the Thessalonians and in his second letter to them, Paul speaks directly to people who were so jazzed about the coming of Jesus and waiting for that coming to, uh, to happen that they'd stop working. Just sitting on their rooftops in white robes waiting for Jesus to come back. And nobody was working and they were depending on others to kind of support them. And, and Paul essentially is, is saying to them, get back to work. Why aren't you going to work? Galatians 6, and this is in the context of bear one another's burdens, and he's really speaking to the church about uncommon community and how great that can be when someone's going through a rough patch, and we need to help those people out when they go through times like that. But then at the very end of this little section in verse 5, he says this, but each one must bear his own load. In, in other words, we're not going to, the, the passage is about times of crisis, the regular thing that's supposed to happen in our lives is that we all bear our own load, that everyone bears responsibility for what needs to happen in their own household, that everyone provides for themselves, that we're not going to, in some unusual way, start relying on the goodness of other people to do the things that we ought to be doing ourselves. There's a responsibility each of us has to pay our own bills, to provide our own shelter, to clothe our own families, to feed them, 
to cut our grass, to, to repair our houses when they need repairing. That's our responsibility in our households. So we need to be working. These are good things that God esteems. The same principle comes out in the Proverbs in case we still need a little bit more convincing about this. And he uses ants to make his point. Ants are coming alive in our house right now. It's crazy. And we're kind of at war with them. Uh, but, um, but they're like highly esteemed in the word of God. And uh, you can't forget that. So um, Proverbs 6, 6 to 8 says this. Uh, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Okay, let's vote right now. Best word in the entire Bible, the word sluggard. True? True? Uh, best word in the entire Bible. Um, essentially, it says this, go to the ant, you lazy, non-working, unmotivated, lottery ticket, buying waste of space. Okay? That's the theological definition of sluggard. Okay, back to the Bible. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Pause. This is, this is the way of wisdom. Hard work, earning your living, making a way for your own family, that's the way of wisdom. Plan ahead, provide for them, okay? Way of wisdom. Go to the Anto sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Preparing. Working ahead. Proverbs 30 says the same thing, 30.25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Okay, so the first verse tells us they're leaderless. They essentially don't have a leader, but somehow they all know that they need to provide for themselves, and they work exceptionally hard to do that, though they don't have a leader. It just comes instinctively to them that they have to do that. The second verse tells us that they're actually pretty weak, which is very true. They're very exceptionally small. They don't stand a chance against a human being. They're very small and very weak, and yet they manage to get the job done. They provide for themselves. They take what they need in the immediate to allow the colony to survive, and during the harvest when the food is plentiful and available, they go out and they gather it, and they store it up so that when there is no food out there, they can survive. And God is esteeming this. Who do you think he's esteeming it for? Ants? They're not reading the Bible. He's writing it for us. He wants us to know that this is something that's at a pretty high level for him. Work hard, provide for yourselves, store up for the future, be responsible. That's the way of wisdom. God tells us, by the way, that this um, whole thing is really about condemning lazy people who think that others should provide for them or who have a sense of entitlement or who are waiting for some windfall to come their way so they don't have to work. And to that, God says, I get to work. You start working, you start providing for yourself. It's a good thing. Be, be diligent about how you earn your living. And when you work hard for it, and this is what I'm just thinking. When you work hard for it, and I know this isn't always true, when you work hard for it, you ought to be thinking about how responsible you need to be with what you've earned. 
I worked hard for this paycheck and look what came in. And now I need to be so careful about how I spend it. I just think that that ought to be true. But for so many of us, though we worked so hard by the sweat of our brow to earn what came in, then we're just so foolish about how we spend it. We ought to be smarter than that. We worked hard for it. Let's let's manage it well. All right, so now uh, that's, that's kind of like the end of the first part of this and I, and I want to take a pause right now before we get to the second part and I want to lay out an illustration that's going to help me deliver the next two points that we have for this morning and everything we're going to say next week is all going to fit into this. And this is really an illustration that came um, from Ron Blue and some of you will recognize that name. I think I've referred to Ron Blue already and he's one of the uh, best known uh, Christian teachers on this matter of financing and you can search him online and see exactly what I'm gonna show you here. But essentially after we've earned all of our money, that income now uh, really gets dispersed into one of five buckets uh, that come our way. Let's put uh, taxes right there and uh, save and invest. We can also, um, we can also uh, give uh, some money away. And we have two more uh, lifestyle choices that we make and uh, debt. And so uh, really what goes on is as you get your income, as that income comes your way, uh, you have to every month, every paycheck, uh, you're putting some money into um, each of these buckets. You're just dispensing your uh, income as you get it. Now let me talk about taxes first. Where's that one? Right here in the middle. Let me talk about taxes for a few minutes. How many people like paying taxes? Okay, three or four of you. Interesting. Um, I don't know how many of us really, not very many of us like paying taxes, but it is an obligation that we have. And, uh, you know, Jesus spoke into the context of a country, his country, that was under Roman occupation. We could uh, certainly agree that our situation here in Canada is far better than what Israel was facing as an occupied nation. And uh, they had to pay taxes. And in addition to paying taxes uh, to the Romans, their own Jewish countrymen, uh, men like Matthew, before he was called by Jesus, would collect those taxes, uh, but he would extort money from the people so he would keep surcharges. So the whole system was rather corrupt. And, and people were paying a lot of taxes. And in, in that context, and with all of that understood, um, some religious leaders came to Jesus and they asked him the question, hey, listen, what's the deal with paying taxes to, to Rome? And Jesus famously uh, takes the coin and he says, whose image is on it? And, and uh, this is all in Matthew 22. And, and um, they said, well, Caesar's. And he said to them, render to that which is, and to that which is correct. And so God just laid it out. He, he essentially says, Jesus laid out. He says, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. And you need to be somewhat happy with, with doing that because it's one of the obligations we have. And even J Jesus paid his taxes. And uh, you remember how he did this, of course. I wish we could do this. Do you remember how he paid his taxes? I think this is in Matthew 17, right? He told Peter, go fishing. He caught a fish. The money was in the fish's mouth, right? This time of year where we're kind of doing our tax forms. I, I, you know, I'd like to go down to Kempenville Bay and just kind of 
fish and find the money to pay the tax man. Uh, but it's not really going to work out that way, sorry. Um, that was kind of a Jesus thing. And so this, uh, the reason why I want to talk about this first is because this is kind of like an obligation to us. Not kind of, it is. And, and the tax man's going to get its money. That's going to happen. There are ways that you can legally reduce your taxes, of course, with deductions and all of that. But, but this is kind of a static expense. So this bucket's going to be there no matter what. That's why I want to start there. And by the way, while I'm in the neighborhood, let's talk about paying our taxes since we're all going to be filling in our T1s uh, in the next few weeks, if you haven't already. And, and the reality is that as the followers of Jesus Christ, you really ought to pay your taxes. That means, and, and I, just, I wrote down some, some things here that I think it's um, no, no cheating on your return. No not claiming all of your income. Claim all of your income. No, no under the table deals. No underground economy. No avoiding paying your taxes in any way. That's just something that is not becoming of a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you have a great opportunity this tax season to obey that outright. So we, we're going to pay our taxes. And then really, in all of these other buckets then, it becomes some kind of a proportionate, um, we're going to figure out uh, how we want all of this to happen. Lifestyle, of course, is everything that's not these four other buckets. So lifestyle is everything from the house I live in to the car I drive to the clothes I buy to the food I eat. That's all of that. The entertainment, that's all in this lifestyle bucket. Now watch what happens when certain of these get out of proportion. And I don't want to decide for you what the proper proportion is here. But if, for example, and we've talked about this already... If, for example, I have an inordinate amount of debt, that's going to affect my ability to put money in all of these other buckets, save the tax bucket, because the government's always going to get its taxes. Now I'm pouring so much money into the debt bucket that what it actually does is it affects some of these other buckets. I ought to always be saving. I'll talk about that in a few moments. I ought to always be giving to something. But if this bucket becomes too big, here's what happens. No longer am I able to save and invest the way that I want to. And so this, can you see that on the back? My, my save and invest bucket just went from this to this. If, listen, if it exists at all. And in so many cases, people aren't planning for their retirement and they don't have an emergency fund and there's no saving whatsoever because the debt bucket, I'm just pouring so much into here that I can't afford this. The same thing happens, by the way, for some people with the lifestyle bucket. And you've bought too much house and, and you have too nice of a car and, and, and you, you have to have new clothes every season and you eat out at restaurants an awful lot. And so, so much money because of choices that you make, so much money is going into the lifestyle bucket that the giving bucket, just teeny tiny little bucket and barely anything ever goes into it. So you see how this all works here. We want to get this into a proper perspective and, and really understand how the Lord would have us allocating the income that comes in, which we've earned and worked hard for now. How do we get that allocated in a way that also honors the Lord? 
So that's the end of the timeout. We can get back to point two now. You understand that illustration and where we're going with all of this. So let's talk about now this uh, save and invest bucket. Let's make sure it's a little bigger than the one I have up on the table right now. So when you own your money, you're free in Christ, not only to earn it, but now to save it responsibly, uh, save it. And if I can refer back to the ants again from Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 30, uh, they save for the future. Again, they consumed what they needed in the moment, but then they stored up and saved for the coming season when things were not available, and God's esteeming that. So that answers the question, really, about uh, is it right for us to be saving and investing? And if we can break that saving and investing into a couple of categories here, let's uh, break it down into uh, short-term savings and long-term investing. So short-term savings, let's talk about a few things here. Um, the emergency fund would be in our short-term savings. Uh, some uh, would suggest $1,000, maybe a little more than that for some of the things that we might face. And, and, and it would be things like the dishwasher broke and it's not in the budget this month. So we go to the emergency fund rather than putting it on the visa card. Or, or, um, or we, um, we have uh, uh, raccoons in the attic and we got to call the exterminator, get them out. And, and we don't have money for that. Well, that's what your emergency fund uh, is for or some big car repair. So we have that. And as soon as we use it, the next month or two, we replenish that and always have that. So that's our go-to place, not the line of credit, not the credit cards uh, when we get into a situation that catches us off guard. Those things always happen, by the way. Short-term saving, emergency fund, uh, the new-to-me car fund, and that could be really almost like medium-term savings because that's going to be every several years. And I'm going to start saving now for the next car. Whatever car I have now, and this is the challenge, if you have a car payment, it becomes super difficult to actually save for the next car. And that's why you get into this cycle of always leasing or always borrowing and always having a payment and always being a slave to the lender. Okay. So a car fund, um, vacation fund is in short-term savings. So what Cheryl and I have done, our practice has always been a certain amount of money every, uh, starting like in the summer, the end of the summer, a certain amount of money every month goes into vacation fund. We don't use it for anything else. And whatever we've saved by the time the summer comes, that dictates the kind of vacation we have. So it's not like we plan the vacation and hope we can pay for it or put it on the credit card or line of credit. That's not the way we plan our vacations. Our vacations are planned around, okay, we have, we've managed to save two or $3,000. That's our vacation. Now we plan what we can do with the money that we have available in the summer. And as soon as that vacation is over, we start saving for the next year for whatever vacation we want uh, to take. And so uh, that's all uh, short-term uh, savings. And then long-term investing would be um, two to three months of income just in case. You get laid off, something happens at work, uh, there's a downturn, um, something happens that uh, cuts off your supply of income and you don't have any other backup plan, so your two to three months of income is your backup plan. This is money that you've set aside, you're not gonna touch it for anything else. That's in your long-term investing um, and then the rest of this just kind of reads like my life right now. Uh, kids in college, kids in college. Morning, Luke. It's good to have you back on, on spring break. Um, kids in college. I said that three times. 
um, daughter's wedding. She was in last night's service. Um, retirement. These are all things that you're going to be planning for in more of a long-term way. And you can have different investment vehicles that kind of make that happen. And you can have all of that money together for savings for the future, but you've got a ledger somewhere that's marking out that this much is for a wedding and this much is for kids' college and this much is for whatever it is that you're long-term investing for. That money can be together and earning interest, but, but, but you're keeping it separate. So I'm not dipping into one to pay uh, for something else. I'm saving uh, for all of that. So you set these categories in your budget and um, make that the law in your home. And if you think you can't get there, because I know that some of you are thinking right now, this all seems impossible. That I don't know how I would get to the place where uh, savings and investing, I've got that somewhere here, let's replace that with the larger one. I don't know how I could, because this is so big, I'm not sure how I can get here. And that's where you need to ruthless. And we looked at this last week and our, our small group studies are, are taking us there. That's where we need to get this down to a reasonable level. But imagine what you're able to do. And we'll talk a lot more about this next week. If we have this in shape, how we spend, and we have this in shape, or even, what if we even got rid of this bucket? And then imagine what's available for all of this. Notice I put it in the giving one. <laughs> Imagine what's, a, what's, what's possible when we get this under control. So responsibly save, knock down your debts, get this to a place where this is actually happening uh, in your life. And then uh, let me just give you one verse here that really helps us with all of this. Proverbs thirteen seventeen. Uh, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Pretends to be rich. In other words, buying, 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 and having a multitude even of possessions around them and giving the appearance of wealth. Look at the new car I have. Look at the nice house I own. Look at the clothes I wear. Look where I eat out. They're giving this appearance of wealth, but when you peel back the curtain on where their financial picture is, all you're really seeing is this massive bucket that has debt written on it. And they're really poor, despite their possessions and despite the appearance that they give. And then this next part I love, another pretends to be poor, it has great wealth. Pretends to be poor, really, it, it, really what the, the, the writer is saying is they're living within their means. They're not trying to live this splashy, rich lifestyle, but they're living within their means, pretending to be poor like they don't have it. But when you pull back the curtain on their finances, what you find is that they've saved and invested a lot. They have all the categories filled. They have the emergency fund. They have the two to three months salary. They have a college fund for their kids. They, they've saved for things. They don't have debt. When you peel back the curtain, they're wealthy. God has just blessed them because they've lived the way of wisdom. So when you own your money, rather than it owning you, you're free in Christ to earn it, to save it, and then look at this finally, to wisely spend it. Wisely spend it. First Timothy 6, 17, Paul says this about wealthy 
Christ followers in the church. This is the apostle writing to the lead pastor of the church in Ephesus. His name was Timothy. He's writing to him about people in the church and how he's going to minister to them and shepherd them and lead them. And so Paul says to him, concerning wealthy Christ followers in the church, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, preach to them, counsel them, teach them, not to be haughty, proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Get that last part underlined. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now what I notice from this, first of all, because I always have this little story in my head of Jesus with the rich young man who comes to him and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus finally at the end, he says to him, you need to go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. So you have this sense, we can have this mistaken sense, like the way for every person to come to faith in Christ is to divest themselves of their wealth. And we forget that that was just such a, a particular situation for that young man because his heart was so gripped with what he owned. But that's not true for everybody. And so here, you, what, what's absent from this in contrast to that gospel story is Paul telling Timothy to tell the rich Christ followers in the church to divest themselves of their wealth. It's not there. He doesn't tell them, hey, he doesn't tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, go to those rich people and tell them to give all of their money to the church. It's not there. Instead, he tells them, he tells Timothy to tell them not to be proud about it. Don't be proud of your wealth. Don't think that you did anything to get your wealth. Just remember that God gave that to you, that it's a gift from him. And that you ought to feel blessed in him. So don't be proud about what you have. And then further he says, not to set their hopes on what they have. In other words, though there's wisdom in saving and investing, so that you have an emergency fund, so you can provide for yourself, you've stored up for the season when there is nothing, you've done all of that, that's the way of wisdom. If that's your hope, you have a problem. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's Counseling here to these wealthy ones to keep their focus vertical on the Lord, on the kingdom priorities. Then he says this, far from telling them to divest themselves of everything they owned, he actually tells them to enjoy what they have. Notice that last part that I got you to underline, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy what you have. God wants you to enjoy and be blessed by what you've earned. I don't want anybody to walk away from this series feeling that there's any kind of guilt trip over what you've earned, what God has given to you. Because God himself is telling us in his word that those things have been given to us to enjoy, that our lifestyle choices, if we've determined before the Lord that our hope is not in these things, that we're focused entirely on the Lord, that we are not proud about all of this, but, but we're just enjoying it. Because God said we could. Well, that's awesome. 
I'm so grateful the Lord said that. God wants you to enjoy life, enjoy the things that he's made on this earth, enjoy the things that you've worked for. He wants you to enjoy where you live. He wants you to enjoy the car that you drive. He wants you to enjoy the places you go and the time that's available to you and the family and friends that you have. He, God wants you to enjoy all of it. This series is not intended to create guilt for anyone. God is not some cosmic killjoy intent on making you a poor and miserable pauper for Jesus. And any attempt to compel all Christians to live in a certain way is legalistic and unbiblical. God wants you to enjoy what you've worked for. I want you to see another verse, and I don't have this one up on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes 11. I mean, Solomon had worked so much of this out in his own life. He was an extremely wealthy man. He had everything, literally all of the world at his disposal uh, during his reign. And he's writing this in, in what amounts to his journal. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 11:9. Rejoice, o, your, o young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. What's he saying? Like when you're a young man, you need to enjoy life. Enjoy your strength, enjoy your friends, enjoy what you see, live. This, this verse, this part of the verse is live life to the full. It's great counsel. But then he, he puts this little check on it, okay? Because we are the followers of Christ and we wanna make sure that what we're doing is aligned with what God wants for us. And so God's saying, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy everything I've provided for you, but, notice it there, Know that for all these things, God will bring you into a judgment. In other words, anything we do enjoy, we still want to make sure that we're enjoying it within the confines and parameters of what God's word says about it. In other words, we want to do the heart check before the Lord to make sure that it is not a matter of pride, that we are not putting our hope in these things. Ron Blue just said it this way, every spending decision then becomes a spiritual decision. Every spending decision, whatever bucket I'm putting things into, it's a spiritual decision. God wants you to enjoy what you've worked for according to the principles and values of his kingdom is what Ecclesiastes 11.9 is really all about. And so if we get this and we agree to it and we get ourselves aligned with God's word, then there's some things that result from that. The first result is, is reward now. There's, a, there's an immediate reward if I align myself with God's ways. And the immediate reward is that the cash flow in my house is working properly. If I've eliminated debt, the bucket doesn't even exist anymore, and I've got all of these things in proper perspective, there's a freedom just in that. It, cash flow and, and, and lack of debt is its own reward. And, and you can talk to anybody in this room who's eliminated all of their debt. They're not carrying any consumer debt. They might even get to the place where their mortgage is paid off. And so really they just have normal living expenses apart from debt. Ask anybody who has that. And, and the word that will come to their mind is freedom. 
I have the freedom to do this. I have the freedom to live in this way. I have the freedom to give this amount of money. God has given me freedom. That's the reward that's in the immediate, the reward now, the money becomes a servant to us and we're no longer serving it. And then there's uh, rewards in the future in terms of preparedness. And we're gonna have a sense that we're caring for our family and caring for their needs without burdening anyone else. And there's a great sense of peace that comes knowing that I'm walking in the way of wisdom and I've set things up in a way that's gonna honor the people that have to take care of me when I'm old. That I've really prepared myself for that. I'm not gonna become a burden to any. Rewards now, rewards in the future. And then next week we're gonna go deeper into how all of this brings uh, rewards in eternity and we're gonna see how this freedom that we have gained results in power, how the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we have that, it's the power to advance the mission, to um, impact lives, to bring about change and transformation. And ultimately, it leads to uh, God being glorified. Amen? All right, so uh, let's tuck that message in and uh, we're gonna do a little Q&A, some questions that you sent in and Pastor Dan's coming up here right now uh, to make that happen. The pit crew is going to change the stage. Give it up for the pit crew. Look at these guys. Right. So we had a bunch of questions this week. Some really good ones here. So somebody, um, I'll start with this one. Somebody said, would money we spend on life insurance and retirement products be better used in giving to our church or ministries or the needs of others? Um, so that's, that's one of these, um, you know, either or, this or that questions, and, and really it's a, more of a both, both and. Um, you ought to be doing both, and I, I think we made the case really clearly concerning the ants and the preparedness and all of that, that God really lays that out as a way of wisdom. So it's not like, it's not, just not, it's not one or the other, it's both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, someone said, in Matthew 6, Jesus promises to provide our basic needs. So are financial products like insurance and RRSPs just more things we are being convinced by the world that we need to buy? Is there really a biblical basis for us to buy those kinds of products? Yeah, so um, again, I think I've answered this, but I, I do want to uh, talk about insurance for a minute because I think we could be irresponsible with the purchasing of insurance. And if you're the kind of person who has like a, super low risk tolerance and you might want to like kind of over-insure yourself and you need to make sure you're not over-insured because that is just money that's going out the door in not a, a great way. And so, um, uh, you know, a, a good example of this would be uh, you go out to rent a car and um, the car rental agency is going to try and sell you insurance, um, the collision insurance and all of that damage, the collision damage waiver, all of that. And what most of us don't realize, a lot of people don't realize, is that you have car rental insurance on most of your car, your, your automobile policies that you already have. There's usually a provision in there and you need to check your own policy. Plus, if you're putting, if you responsibly use your credit card and you, you give the credit card for the car rental, a lot of your credit cards also have car rental insurance on them. So then if you buy the, the collision damage waiver, you've actually triple insured yourself. And, and it's kind of silly that any of us would ever do, you know, ever do that. And so we need to be, we need to be really careful about um, kind of over, 
over-insuring ourselves um, for sure. And, um, and so when, I, when we start talking about, um, oh, the, other one, the, other, the other insurance thing is um, uh, you buy an appliance and they want to sell you the, um, the extended warranty thing, right? Yep. They want to sell you, don't buy those. Just don't buy those. That is just a cash grab by the appliance, whoever's selling you the extended warranty, that's just silly. Uh, There are the rare occasions, and I get it. I I hear the exception cases in the lobby after the service. So whenever I say something, people are going to come up and say, oh, well, I didn't buy the extended warranty. My stove was only a year old. And and I get that. There are exceptions. I got that last week when I talked about buying used cars. I heard the horror stories about the used car that cost people you know, five, $6,000 after they bought it to try and get it fixed. And I get that there's the exceptions to the rule, but the general rule is still in play. Extended warranties aren't a good idea. You're overinsured in most cases. And so um, that- They wouldn't sell it if it wasn't good for them. Correct. Please understand they're trying to make money. Yeah. So that's their whole aim. They're really not, don't think that they've got your best interest in heart. They don't. They yeah. just want what's in your wallet. Okay, so all of this, though, because this is really Matthew, a reference Matthew six, to Matthew yeah. 6. Yeah. It's really a reference to that. And the thing about Matthew 6 is, so this is seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you and God will provide for you. And that's really the intent of the question. The thing I find interesting about the whole Matthew 6 passage is this. It's about, he uses the illustration of birds. And he says, look how God provides for the birds. They don't, in fact, unlike the ants, they're not storing up and yet your father feeds them. Well, how does he feed them? Well, there are plants in the woods and in the fields that produce seeds that the birds go and get. And the, there are, the rainfall happens and it causes the worms to come up out of the ground and the birds all come after the rain and they grab all the worms and they, they feed themselves in this way. Or springtime in Canada, there's this plethora of bugs just everywhere. They're flying everywhere right now. Are all those ladybugs coming alive in your house too right now? It's insane. I, I thought we got them all at the end of the, you know, when winter started, we were sucking those things up in the vacuum like crazy. All of a sudden, they're still coming out. I don't know where they were all winter. But, but those are all, see, God's providing all of those. But listen, the bird still has to go and get the worm. It still has to go to the field and get the seed. The bird still has to go and get it. I mean, when I was a kid, we had a bird, um, a yellow canary named Tweety, very original. <laughs> right? Mom and dad were very creative in naming animals. And, and, and so, but you see, when, when Tweety needed to be fed, we, she was in a cage, uh, we had to actually put seed in a little tray and open it a little door and put the tray inside of there. That's kind of the mindset that we have about this. Look how God provided the seed. When in fact, what God does for the wild birds is he just provides it kind of out there, but they still have to go and get it, Okay. And see, so God provides us with the ability to work to provide for ourselves. And so it's not a matter of just sitting around and hoping God delivers four bags of groceries to us at our door. That's not going to happen. All right? Go out and work for it. Cool. Uh, I got into preaching there a little yeah. bit. Did you yeah. notice that? Yeah. The chair's supposed to make it so it's more like a conversation. Okay. I'll try to. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so kind of a follow-up to that then. Yep. How much do we really need? Yeah, how much do we need um, to, to have the kind of, to get back to this, to, get to have the kind of lifestyle that is appropriate? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of question that is particular to each individual person. So that's not something I ever want to be looking at someone else 
lest we create some kind of communistic, socialistic environment where everybody has to live at the same uh, income level or the same lifestyle level. I mean, I just think that that's a thing between an individual or a family or a couple and, and the Lord. And the thing I wanna be su super careful of, and the scriptures are clear about this, that I can never judge your motive because I really can't know your motives and I can never judge your heart in something. Uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so the matters of the heart, which is, do I put my hope in what I have? Am I proud about what I have? Like, is there pride that's taking grips, grip of me? Like, I can't ever see that in you. And so that's really between you and the Lord. Nobody can judge my lifestyle and I can't judge your lifestyle in any way. It's, it's really a matter between you and the Lord. So how much is enough is such a sliding scale depending on what the Lord has allowed for you. And so we're not gonna go around and start pointing the finger at anybody and say, look what they have. And why do they drive that car? And I don't think that that's right. Why don't they sell that car and give it to the church? Well, the fact of the matter is you don't know how much they give to the Lord. You don't. They could be giving every year five times the value of that car and you'd have no idea. And so that's really a matter between uh, them and the Lord and, and we're not gonna go around policing this in other people's lives or condemning anybody for the lifestyle choices that they're making because it's between them and, and Jesus, honestly. And we're just gonna leave it you know, kind of at that. It's not a question that we should be thinking about for others, but it is something we should be thinking Everybody, about for ourselves. Absolutely, for sure. everybody's gotta have this conversation with the Lord and get yeah. that worked out in a way that makes sense for them. Yeah, yeah. cool. Okay, another question, good question here. Is the concept of retirement biblical? Um, yeah, it's a kind of a common question. I would say that the concept of coming to a day where you stop working and stop getting a paycheck, if that's what we're referring to as retirement, fine. Like you could get, come to the place where you're financially self-sufficient and you don't need to go to work anymore and get that paycheck and be beholden to an employer or you don't need the pressure of owning your own business so you sell it and you get out of it. That's fine. I think, I, you know, there could come a day. But is there ever a day where we stop working, small w working, I think that's kind of unbiblical in the sense that we ought to still be contributing and God said it's a good thing and we ought to be finding ways to pour in uh, to other situations when we don't need a paycheck anymore. And so the concept of not working or retiring from work, sure. The concept of retiring from the mission that Jesus has given to us in this world to please him and to make disciples and plant churches, I think that's a different thing altogether. And what I love to see in some quote unquote retirees is when they finally get to the place where their OAS and their CPP and what they have in investments is enough to live on and they stop working in the sense of having a job, but then they're like pouring themselves out into ministry. And I'm gonna give two or three days a week to this, or I'm working with this agency downtown to make an impact for the Lord uh, with, with those who are disadvantaged. And, and I, I love to see that. And I think that should be the MO of every follower of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Preach. That's good. Um, so in our groups, we've been talking a lot about this idea of the fully funded life. Yeah. And um, so somebody asked, is pursuing the quote fully funded life really doing the same thing as the rich fool did in, in Luke chapter 12? Or they said it a different way. Is having a savings margin essentially, is that a, a functional savior? Right. So if you missed last week's message, that's language that's coming out of that message. Or if you're not catching the small group, that's language that's coming out of the small group study, the video study. And so um, we want to make sure that we're understanding, because I get that that fully funded life is really a provocative little phrase, because some people are thinking it just smacks too much of prosperity and, and that we're pursuing the wrong thing. But again, as we said last week, 
the fully funded life is the same as saying to the alcoholic, the fully sober life, or to the sex addict, uh, the fully pure life. This is a matter of holiness, and we're trying to arrest an area of our lives that's not in a good place and get it to a place where we're enjoying everything. The fully funded life is enjoying everything God has provided for you. And so when we get that in the proper perspective, it makes sense. And so it's not like the rich fool because the rich fool was a guy whose heart was set on, his, on what he had. His affections were not set on the Lord. He had no heart for those who were on the margins or for the mission of God in the world. And so that guy, it was, again, always comes down to the heart. Where's your heart at with regard to all of this? And so the preparation, obviously, we looked at it all the text day. The preparation is good. It's biblical. It's the way of wisdom. And it and really comes down to how you feel about what you have and how much you're relying on it. Cool. Does that answer it? I think so. Okay. Yeah, one more question. Just want to remind you before I mention that uh, we'd still love to receive your questions. We got one more message next weekend and we'll be answering your questions. So um, send them to the email or the uh, text them to the number that's on the screen. Be sure to do that. Um, so here's the last one we're going to talk about today. When it comes to investing, should we be cautious investors? Aren't risky stock purchases really no different than gambling? Um, no, they're not the same. Uh, because if we use our definition that we had last week, um, it, when you're playing the lotteries or you're, or you're gambling, there really is no asset that's appreciating. It's just, it just depreciates immediately right after you put the money in the slot. Um, but with a stock, even if it's a risky stock, there is the potential of an increase or, or, or an appreciation of your value. You are investing in something. You're investing in a company. You become a part owner. So in, so in that sense, it's not the same. And so when it comes to stock market, really, stock market or any investing, it always comes down to your own personal risk tolerance and what you're willing to, to do. And, and some, some people have a really high risk tolerance and love the gamble and as long as you're not compromising your ability to provide for your family or yourself, um, then you know, invest the way that you're comfortable investing. Most of us probably in this room are pretty cautious investors, I would think. Mm -hmm. Most of us. Most of us. Probably a good so, thing. Yeah, so not the same. Okay. Cool? I think that's it. That's All right. good. Good. Thanks, guys. Are we going to pray? You pray. All right. Let's... Uh... <laughs> That's I'm what out, I, that's I'm what out I of said. here. That's what I said. Am I going to pray? Okay. Yeah. Why don't we, let's bow our heads and uh, close our time this morning. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. And um, God, I, I just thank you for how you speak so practically to our lives and to this area of our finances, God, that is, a, is something that is common to all of us that each of us wrestles with in different ways. And thank you for the reminder that our financial decisions are really spiritual decisions. This isn't something we can just put in a box in a, a category of our lives separate from our relationship with you. It's, it's interconnected. And so how we save and spend and earn and give and all of that is a reflection of where we are with you. And so I pray that you'd continue to speak to us about these things. Father, I pray that the, the seed of your word would find fertile soil in our hearts and our lives. And God, that you would bring forth much fruit. And God, that you would bring transformation. You'd bring freedom as we've been talking about. God, I pray for some significant life decisions that will be made, are being made and will be made in the remainder of our time in this series and in our small groups, God, that you would be uh, even more honored and glorified in the way that we use our resources. Take us now from this place to live for you, not just with our funds, but God, with every part of our lives. Help us to honor you in what we do and what we say. Would you be honored and glorified as you look down upon us, God? We love you. 
Thank you for first loving us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.